evening, everyone, and welcome to the hundredth episode of Raising Bulls. The only podcast dedicated to the New York Red Bulls 2 of USL. We are brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network and Roughneck Scarves. Tonight, we got something a little special planned. Uh, We're going to start with a a match recap of a a pretty phenomenal uh, opening day win, 3-1 over Swope Park Rangers. And then uh, we're going to proceed with a sort of intertwined story of the 2016 championship season and the start of Raising Bulls. Joining me tonight, it's Anthony Merced. Hello, Anthony. I actually got to see your face at MSU. It's the first time I was ever at MSU. And what was your experience? Um, man, do I not want to be there in August? <laughs> oh, that's true. Because uh, uh, for those that don't know, the bleachers, uh, it, it, they're all metal bleachers. So this was a, um, I, it was a warmer day in March, but it was still pretty cold. It was not cold at all on those bleachers to the point where all of us were pretty much not in jackets. Yeah. We went from there to the field to talk to the players or field level. And it was about 15 degrees colder. Easily, <laughs> easily. It is a west-facing uh, bleacher. So, yeah, that, those, like, mid-afternoon games, the sun is beating down on you. I got a sunburn that day. It was 49 degrees outside. I got a sunburn. Uh, of course you got a sunburn. <laughs> I am translucent, so. Yeah. Uh, I didn't uh, say it. You did. <laughs> uh, but what else was hot that day? The New York Red Bulls, too. That was a good transition. Don't boo me. Uh, well, maybe not necessarily hot in front of goal, even though they walked away with with three of them. They missed probably an opportunity to score six or seven. Uh, the goals came from Tom Barlow and one from Marcus Epps. Uh, I thought in general, uh, Vincent Bezicourt looked very good on the day. It's clear that he is above USL level, but... Uh, it's nice to see him still working himself back up to fitness, same as Florian Velo. Um, you know, I think in general, the finishing need improve, needed improvement, but there really wasn't much of a challenge from Swope Park. Uh, Anthony, what did you see? No, Swope Park was a mess. Um, they were, they looked like a team that had maybe trained together a few days before. Um, and then Red Bull two obviously looked like a team that had played together for quite a while because they did so in the preseason. Um, they also some of the loan downs from MLS really looked like MLS players. Marcus Epps definitely looked like. I mean, he looked like Messi out there with how he was moving the <laughs> ball. Um, and that's which is kind of crazy. I mean, you know, the level of uh, a guy who is fighting for minutes in the MLS level, what he can look like down in the USL. Uh, so they, they, they had all the right pieces in all the right places to get that win. And, you know, in terms of uh, things that we, you know, were worrying about heading into the season, I think top of the list was the back line. Now, they weren't challenged a ton in this match, uh, but, you know, the one moment, essentially Swope Park's uh, best opportunity on the day and one of the few opportunities they had, they were able to put into the goal. Uh, breakdown on the left-hand side. Alan Giannis uh, maybe may having a little bit of trouble dealing with uh, the way that the play developed. Uh, and uh, a finish that 
I don't think you can fault Evan Loro for being unable to stop. But it was one of those moments where, you know, you see the, the ball get crossed in and the team has trouble dealing with it, which is something we've seen in the past, specifically from Jordan Scarlett. But uh, overall, I was happy with what they were able to do. But it's still one of those things, you know, to keep an eye on in terms of uh, where their team's going to be over the rest of the season uh, with, uh, you know, against uh, more skilled opposition. Yeah, I mean, they weren't really tested all that much. And when they were, uh, it was a like it wasn't scattered and it wasn't emergency stuff. But there were moments where it just Jordan Scarlett would make a pass that didn't really make much sense to me or. Giannis would get the ball caught up in his feet, and those half seconds against a team like Louisville can really cost you. Well, maybe not this season. I don't know if you watched Louisville's game this year. It's only <laughs> this one year, game. this weekend. <laughs> yeah, and against a team that's or, not so bad. Or, or, or against Indy. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> well, you picked two teams that lost for the opening weekend. I no, would have said Indy, Nashville. Indy beat um, Indy was the one. No, it was North Carolina North that North beat Carolina. them. North Carolina yeah. beat um, uh, Louisville soundly. Indy lost yeah. two to one to somebody, but I don't remember who. Yeah, there's, there's 36 teams. It's hard to keep track. Yeah, <laughs> my head is spinning. Um, but I, I, yes, overall, I think the backline performed well. Um, what I am going to keep an eye on for for Jordan Scarlett is his ability to keep his mark in the box. That's that's been the the issue for him. And Giannis just defending uh, with the ball at his feet. He's terrific going forward. And I think he can he can do well in terms of um, uh, 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 standing up a guy once they get down to the end line. But if he creeps forward, it gets caught out of position. He's not necessarily great at getting back, and uh, you know that could lead to, to some issues. Stood him up, huh? Did they like go out for lunch? And he just didn't show up. That's right. Uh, or he sh- he showed up, uh, took one look in, and rather than walking into the restaurant, he just left. <laughs> uh let's get a man of the match the first one of the year for a, a, a real usl match who you got oh, wait, 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 wait 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 i just really we're given man of the match we didn't even talk about the goals in this match i you know i mentioned tom barlow not being able to finish but can we talk about the the goal from epps yeah the shot from outside the box which curled a bit and totally beat the um it, it it beat Dick. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> that's the, what? That's the keeper's name. His name was his last name is Dick. Uh, there was a strong emphasis on his last name. I will say, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, you're sitting next to me in the stands. I look at Marcus and I see him line up that shot, and I said, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and yeah. then he shut me up immediately. Um, so you're like, nope, nope, uh, that's what he did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, he meant to do that. Uh, I, I'll give him credit because, you, you know, especially watching the um, the replay, the run that Bezicourt made to, to pull off the defense and what would have been an obvious pass to him allowed him the time to, to curl the ball rep. Again, I think a more experienced keeper and or back line wouldn't have allowed that to happen. Uh, but credit Epps for for recognizing the situation and and really doing a good job. Uh, Barlow two goals. He's on the team of the week, but a somewhat disappointing, I think, performance considering how many opportunities he had uh, to shine, and he really he scuffed quite a few open looks. 
Yes, he did. And and the and the one in particular that he scored really was because uh, Marcus Epps put a ball at his feet while he was making a run. Um, he uh, look, he got the two goals, so he had a good day. But I mean, dude should have had four. Easy, yeah, easily four. And hopefully, it's just one of those uh, early season sort of uh, still rusty, uh, not quite into the flow of things. And hopefully, he'll improve. Okay, now let's get to man of the match. Who you got? I was gonna, I was gonna say Marcus Epps, the one goal and the two assists. I think that that is a fair. Uh, wait, two assists. He only had the one assist. I thought he had a hockey assist. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think that's fair. I'm gonna give mine, even though I gave it in my article to Epps. Uh, going back and rewatching the match, I'm gonna give it to Bezicourt. Yes. We know that he is better than any player on the field, I think, on the day. Uh, but he really put in a heck of a shift, and it was good to see him uh, looking back to full fitness. The The run in particular uh, that he made uh, before before the ball kind of you know popped out to, to Epps, the run that Bezicourt makes is basically from box to box. Uh, and defenders are just left in awe <laughs> as he passed by them. Uh, it was a really nice movement. So, uh, Bezicourt and Epps, congrats. So, we don't have uh, too much to talk about in this first segment. A lot of the, the show will be devoted to uh, the second half. Uh, so, Anthony, do, do you have any messages that you'd like to give uh, the listeners on this 100th episode? Just thank you for sticking with us through all the pains of us figuring out and um, us being gimmicky at times and um, um, sticking with us uh, through probably not one of the most popular teams in the New York area, but probably one of the most successful. I can raise a glass to that. Yeah, I don't have anything. Oh, wait. I have. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> Uh, and when we come back, the oral history of the 2016 New York Red Bulls 2 USL Championship. So stick around. Hey, everybody. It's Bill from Racing Bulls. Just wanted to give you a big thank you for listening to what is now 100 episodes, which is really hard to believe uh, when we first started this. I didn't even think we'd hit 100 episodes. And here we are four seasons later. Uh, so I just wanted to give you a big thanks for Tuning in to us every week, and here's to another 100 episodes, and let's go Red Bulls. Just one. That's how many teams are crowned champion at the end of any season. And for the New York Red Bulls and their supporters, those championships have remained entirely elusive. The struggle of the Red Bulls is legendary. So many near misses, so many false starts, so many what-ifs. But just one step down the U.S. soccer pyramid, the Red Bulls captured a title in a record-breaking siege. The USL Red Bulls, the New York Red Bulls too, 
decimated the league on their way to a title. The team is a landmark for the development model the Red Bulls adopted. But let's rewind back for a moment, all the way back to 2014. The Red Bulls toyed with the idea of getting into player development by fielding a USL team, but things didn't quite come together. The whispers around MLS about fielding development squads in USL gave the Red Bulls the idea to create their own team. But the timing wasn't quite concrete. New York Red Bulls 2 coach John Wallenick knew that he would be involved, but not when. Yeah, it was certainly an interesting process, um, you know, because there were talks of us starting the team in 2014, uh, and then that fell through for, you know, reasons that I don't necessarily know. And then, you know, there was always kind of on the radar that we were going to start, you know, that the league in general was going to start having second teams and playing the USL and all that stuff. So, and we figured we were going to be one of, you know, and LA had started theirs, and we figured we were going to be one of the first ones to, to get it started. And then there's a little back and forth in, in the end, with whether actually we're going to get it done and, you know, what we needed to get it done in a timely fashion and in the right way or whatever. And um, I think I was officially posted to the, to the team as that coach in probably February 2015, so kind of late into the process. And, uh, you know, I had already kind of had a, an idea of what I wanted and how we're going to start the team and kind of thinking of players that might be interested in, in being a part of that and, um, because, again, we had talked about it for over a year already, but, you know, the actual decision-making was kind of last minute. Building a team starting in February with a March kickoff is not the best approach, but the Red Bulls, too, were not looking to win a championship. Wolinek used his time in the Red Bull Academy to help recruit local players to the squad. Luckily, our academy's been, been good, and we've had a lot of success with uh, the homegrown players. Uh, you know, at that time, it was early, but, you know, we had still had a few homegrown players come through, and, you know, we had a lot of good players come through our academy that were now in college, and at that time we were in college, and, uh, you know, I definitely had a few guys that I was thinking about, like Conrad Pliwa and Bolo Akinode and Danny Bedoya, and these guys I knew, you know, would be in, you know, you don't know if they, how well they're going to, uh, perform, you know, but I knew that they would they would be guys that would be interested in and should be a part of it, and guys that have been with the club and you know should be given a chance. So um, I was lucky to have the benefit of all the work that Bob and and the coaches had put in with the academy to have a bunch of good players that were had a connection with the club and and would be you know it was right at the time when when some of the better players were starting to come through. Um, when I started with the academy, at the players that were at the 18s my first year there were Sean Davis and Dan Metzger, Conrad, Bolu, um, you know, and, and Bedoya. And those guys were with the we were 17s and 18s at the time. So uh, it was just a little bit of a coincidence that those guys were coming through at the time to be ready to, to play with the second team. The goal of the squad has always been development ahead of results. But most athletes suit up to win games, and Red Bull 2 were no exception. After starting the season 3, 5, and 4... The New York Red Bulls 2 put together a strong second half of the year, finishing 9-5-2, good enough for fourth place in the 12-team Eastern Conference. They won their first playoff match against the Pittsburgh Riverhounds 4-2 in extra time, but lost to eventual champions Rochester Rhinos in the semifinals. It wasn't exactly a disappointing result for New York Red Bulls 2. Among other things, Wolinek learned a lot of valuable lessons that season. Yeah, I, I learned a lot. Probably a lot of it was... You know, it, was a, it wasn't easy to, to start a team. I learned that. <laughs> and uh, as a coach, um, 
you know, you're not nowadays, you're not fully responsible for the players on your team, right? You have GMs and technical directors and scouts and all that stuff. But at the same time, you, you have to have a feel for the guys that you want to be a part of it, right? You can't go in blind. Um, it's difficult to, to go in to a bunch of guys that you don't know or don't have a feel for or don't like as players. So, um, you know, ever since I've been a little bit more aggressive or mindful of, you know, keeping tabs on players and whether they're from our academy or guys that I've seen in college and just kind of, you know, keeping tabs on guys so that, you know, when when the need comes that, that you have at least ideas and a starting points and whatever, obviously, you know, we have a scouting department. There's lots of ways that you can get players, but um, it's important as a as if you're going to be a head coach to have a feel for that. Um, and then the other part was, you know, learning about the grind and, you know, the professional game and, you know, week in, week out and the travel and all that stuff. Obviously, having been, been a player, that stuff came pretty easy to me, but it's still difficult to manage that stuff now uh, as a coach, you know, helping the players through that. The style of play we had was the, that was the first year doing the style of play. So it would have been nice to kind of <laughs> learn the professional uh, coaching part first and then enter into the style of play. But uh, to do it all at once was a bit tricky. Uh, but in some ways, that style helped us, right? It gave us a, a due north. It gave us a, a, um, a goal and, you know, a, a common thread with the first team, obviously, but also with the, with the players and stuff. So they, they knew that there was value in it and they could see it coming through with the first team, and especially since the first team was having success that year in 15. Um, you know, you got more buy-in. Um, but we learned a lot that there, you know, that you have to, that the if you're going to play that way, you have to have that type of player in mind. So um, we learned a little bit on, on how to scout that type of player, you know, and we're still learning about that. But, um, you know, it definitely helped us and set us up probably for success in, in 16. With the bones of the organization in place, the 2016 season was a clean slate. With the wrinkles of year one behind them, player recruitment started much earlier than the previous season. A new crop of players carried the team forward, including Red Bulls goalkeeper Ryan Mara on loan, and new signings Aaron Long, Vincent Bezicourt, and Brandon Allen. But before the glory, there were a couple of stumbles out of the gate. Their first match against Toronto FC2 saw the team go down 2-0 by halftime. Only a late Brandon Allen PK salvaged a point in their opening match. Allen PKs became a staple of the season. He remained perfect from the penalty spot through, throughout 2016 and led the team in goals with 15 during the regular season. He would go on to win USL Rookie of the Year. The team underachieved out of the gate, but the idea that this group was special persisted. I know we started off with that first game was tricky at playing at Red Bull Arena, and you know we, we came out a bit flat, uh, and and you know kind of gave up two goals, maybe against the run of play, but you know the second half was was a, a good battle for us and gave us some confidence to be able to come back. And I think we walked off the field a bit disappointed that we uh, didn't grab three points at home. But gain some confidence in the fact that we can come back in some different situations. And I, th- I think, you know, our, our first few games weren't exactly stellar from what I remember. So it certainly wasn't something that you, that you knew was going to happen. But, um, you know, I think we did know that we had something special with Tyler. Um, we had hints that Aaron was going to be pretty good. Um, you know, we the, the fact that we were able to use... And, and have Ryan Mira during that year a lot was, was helpful because, you know, as much as, uh, you know, Santi was good for us, he was, he was you know, a young goalkeeper is very difficult. It's a bit inconsistent for, for a, guy, a young player like that. So um, to have the Ryan's stability and having had 
you know, a bunch of first team games under his belt um, was huge for us. And, you know, when you have a goalkeeper, a center back, and a center midfielder that gives you a strong spine to the team. Uh, then we knew with Brandon Allen coming in that, you know, Brandon scored at every level he's ever played at. So yeah. we knew that, that we were going to get some production there. So we certainly had some, we were certainly excited about a bunch of the guys. and um, But at the same time knew that, you know, it's a, it's a hard deal for new guys coming in because they, you know, they, you know, Aaron was a little different because he had played professional for a little bit, but usually we get, you know, first year pros that are learning how to, you know, take a step up from college or two steps up from college, learn how to be a pro, have longer season, more training, longer preseason. Uh, and then at the same time, trying to learn the, the tactics and the style of play, you know, it, it tends to give us some bumps in the road early. Uh, and I think that's shown over the, the four years that we, you know, maybe we start off okay in the beginning because we have some first-team guys and they've been able to play through preseason, but then we had some bumps in the road because guys are still getting fit, still learning the system, still a little bit indecisive. Uh, and then we start to hit our stride towards the end when, when things start to get clear. With the team's success and relative anonymity in the tri-state area, the idea to start this podcast was born. Walking into the first match of the season in 2016, I sort of blurted the idea out to Chris Oriuela. New York Red Bulls 2 communications coordinator at the time, thinking, he's never going to go for this. I didn't have a clue how to set up a podcast or how I would be able to host it. But like I said, no way Chris is going to go for it, right? But then he said yes. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the premiere edition of Raising Bulls, the only podcast dedicated to the New York Red Bulls 2 of the USL. We're brought to you by LastWordOnSports.com, where you get the last word. Tonight, we'll be joined by head coach John Wallenek. Joining me, Joe Goldstein, is Anthony Merced. Anthony, uh, welcome to the show. Hello, good to be here. Fantastic to have you. Uh, Hopefully, (laughs) in the coming weeks, we'll be picking up some steam. Uh, Right now, I think we're just going to kind of find our groove. Yeah, well, much much like uh, the USL teams, everybody takes a few weeks to find their groove. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, let's not mess around too much. Let's let's just get right into it. Just like New York Red Bulls too, we had a lot of stumbles out of the gate. I cringe listening to it now, but within a few weeks, both the Red Bulls two and Raising Bulls were running like a finely tuned machine. From May 7th through July 23rd, New York Red Bulls 2 went undefeated. Every match, every team they faced, they walked out with at least a point. For a team not concerned with results, they were achieving at levels no one in USL expected. It was hard to contain the excitement off the field. On the field, Wolonek, Ibrahim Sagaya, and Vadim Kirilov figured out their own ways to keep the team motivated. We had, like I said, we had some talent, so we knew that there were a bunch of pieces on this team that were going to be pretty good. Uh, and then, you know, it took us a couple games, but then after that, it, it didn't take long for us to, to recognize that we were going to be good. And I think, you know, in that early part, after the first couple games, we started to, you know, really defend well. And Aaron showed how clever and savvy he was in the back. And Tyler was starting to take off, like, you know, with his physical prowess in the midfield and how dominant he was. And, you know, you know we, had, we knew we had Metzger next to him. And um, so was, we, we knew we had some good pieces, especially on the defensive side. And then we knew we had multiple attacking options uh, to go at teams, whether it was with Derek or Brandon or Junior. And, um, you know, we have Vince, but Vince took an injury early, so maybe that was part of the reason why we, we didn't quite hit our stride right away. 
but I think when, when you have a team that, that defended as well as we did, uh, because in the first year we gave up a decent amount of goals. So, you know, and it's, nor- it's fairly normal with, with the way we play. You know, if you're going to be that aggressive, then sometimes you're going to get punished. So for us to be able to play that aggressive and still like really limit other teams' options going forward and, and really take away their chances, that's when we start to realize, okay, this is something that's going to gain some momentum and guys start to get confident. And if it just felt like any game that if we weren't up in the first 15, 20 minutes, it's like, what's going on? This is weird. Um, and then even if we did go down, we were like, all right, no worries. We're, we're going to get chances and we're going to get goals. And uh, we just, I just remember walking off the field even during that unbeaten streak when we had ties that felt like losses. You know, a lot of my refrains that year with the – um, you know, we do a to-do list before the game about certain things that might be important during the game, and a lot of times we talked about, you know, shutouts and limiting the other team and, you know, zero chances and stuff like that because we knew that, you know, development was important. So it wasn't just about winning; right. it was challenging us. You know, and, and at times when when you're dominant, you know, it's easy to kind of take a foot off the gas a little bit and, and not quite push yourself enough. So I knew I had to come up with certain challenges within the game, not so much just winning, but other things, um, certain stats or ideas or, you know, ways to dominate the game that we're going to challenge our guys to keep pushing them forward. And I think that kind of fed into itself and, and kind of helped uh, the team um, even push through those easier moments uh, and still continue to get better. There's a reason why we only lost three games that year. Like, guys were into that whole part. And they, you know, you, they took on those challenges in a good way. And, it, you know, sometimes... That has to do with the staff, but a lot of times it's more often probably has to do with the type of players that you have. Aaron Long's role in the defense played a big part in New York Red Bulls' two success that season. The cast-off midfielder who spent time with the Seattle Sounders and Portland Timbers was in a new environment and a new position. The California native took to center back well, earning USL Defensive Player of the Year that year. And for Wolinek, it was all about his attitude. When you have a guy like Aaron, who, you know, is a guy that likes to joke and and have fun and laugh and all that stuff but he's a serious guy and he he, he takes his career seriously and um you know i remember first game he was grabbing the computer and, and looking at the video and asking me questions on why we gave up the goal and should he have done something different and i was like wow this is interesting this guy's you know he's not looking to pass blame or anything he wants to know um, you know, in a good game, how can I go, do better? Long used his success that season to propel himself to the MLS level. After expecting to be a depth option, early season roster rotation and injuries left Long as the main option for then-coach Jesse Marsh. He has rarely left the Red Bulls lineup since. After finishing the 2018 season as MLS Defensive Player of the Year, Long earned a lucrative contract that keeps him at the club for the foreseeable future and regular U.S. men's national team call-ups under coach Greg Berhalter. The other star of the 2016 season was young Tyler Adams. He was the first New York Red Bulls two players signed in the club's history, and few had seen him play previously. The midfielder didn't catch the eye standing in a crowd. He was unassuming off the field. But when the whistle blew, a different beast emerged. From the moment he stepped on the field, it was impossible to ignore his presence and skill. Adam Starr rose with the 2016 USL champions. The players, too, forget how young he was at the time um, because he did have such a, you know, it always struck me when I saw him at the academy. I didn't do a lot of work with him at the academy, but, you know, I was always around him and, and he could just, he just stood out as far as posture and maturity and he just, his voice, his effort all the time. Like, he, he was just 
older than other guys, even if they were the same age. It didn't matter what their birthday was, right? He just seemed older. He seemed more um, driven and concentrated on, on what he wanted. So, um, and he's a fiery guy. He's not afraid to yell at guys too. So he's he's gonna have a good example, but he's also gonna push and challenge guys too. So, um, you know, having him around certainly is you know not only. Motivate himself, but definitely motivate the guys around him for sure. After losing two games in July, back-to-back losses, New York Red Bulls 2 finished out the rest of the season without another one, setting numerous records along the way. They set the record for points in a season, 69, most wins, most wins on the road, and shutouts. That largely helped Mullenek win USL Coach of the Year. While the points record and wins record have fallen thanks to a longer season, the achievements of the 2016 Red Bulls stand out. When it came time for the playoffs, the Red Bulls team knew they didn't have it easy. Finishing the way they did put a big target on their back, and keeping the squad motivated remained a challenge. Yeah, so I, I think going into the playoffs, uh, I was kind of, you know, when, when you do set some records and, and you have the season that we did uh, with so few setbacks and so few uh, failures, so to speak, you know, you, you and you're hosting, you know, you're hosting all the games and the pressure to win at home and the pressure to, you know, uh, host another playoff game. I think there was a lot of pressure on the guys, especially for a bunch of young guys. So I think that led to us maybe not having our best games in the playoffs and, and not uh, dominating as much as, as maybe we should have. The playoffs started on October 2nd. First up, Orlando City B. The Red Bulls, too, made quick work of the other MLS development squad, beating them 4 nothing. Vincent Bezicourt took control of the match early, pulling the strings as the primary playmaker and standing out even more than he had during the regular season. But tougher opposition awaited. It was a great day for New York Red Bulls, too. For the second straight year in their franchise's history, they host an opening round playoff game and they get a victory. Four goals this time, a shutout this time, though. The New York Red Bulls suit the regular season champions with a 4-0 victory over Orlando City B. The Rochester Rhinos had been the bogey team for Coach John Wolinek and New York Red Bulls too. It was the same team they lost to in the semifinals the previous season, and up until this point, they had never defeated the Rhinos. New York grabbed the elite early in the 20th minute. Once again, Vincent Bezicourt provided the spark to create the play, but it was Derek Etienne doing the heavy lifting on the goal. The winger received the ball at the top of the box and used his footwork to beat his man, slotting the ball home near post. It took the Rhinos just two minutes to answer back. A quickly taken free kick caught the Red Bulls napping, and Steven Dos Santos pulled the Rhinos level. The Rhinos may have grabbed control, but Ryan Mara's goalkeeping heroics kept the match level. That gave the Red Bulls the opportunity to pull ahead once more just before halftime against the run of play. But once again, the Rhinos battled back, pulling level in the 55th minute on a header from Steven Dos Santos. The match had all of the telltale signs of a Red Bull-Rhinos stalemate, but being the playoffs, there had to be a winner. Tragedy struck, a feeling all too familiar for Red Bull fans. In the 110th minute, the Rhinos pulled ahead for the first time in the match. Poor mark- marking on a corner allowed for a free header for Wall Fall, and it looked like the Rhinos had broken the Red Bulls' heart yet again. But with just one minute remaining, the Red Bulls flipped the script. Tian Jr. is able to flick it on. A chance for New York maybe here. Metzger gets into the box, and LaGuardia 
points to the spot. A penalty kick coming here in the final minutes for New York Red Bulls 2. And who else, Andrew, but Dan Metzger, who earns it for his team. Dan Metzger, one of the unsung heroes of the 2016 season, earned the penalty. And Brandon Allen, who had been clinical from the spot all year, nodded the game up at three. The game would go to PKs. In the shootout, the Red Bulls stayed perfect from the spot, but the Rhinos couldn't. Ironically, Steven Dos Santos skied his penalty, erasing the goodwill he had earned earlier in the match with his brace and seeing the Rhinos out of the playoffs. The winning penalty kick for the Red Bulls came from Conrad Plewa. Plewa had suffered a stroke earlier in the summer, and his return to the field was unclear. But here he was, scoring the winning goal in the playoffs, vanquishing the rival Rhinos. Rochester was a good yeah. team that year. They had won the championship. A lot of the records that we broke were theirs. They had a bit of a chip on their shoulder. To, you know, Pablo is a good coach, and he, I'm sure he, you know, talked to, showed him some articles about our team and how we, you know, maybe, um, you know, matched or surpassed their points and whatever. So they came in and, and put a lot into it, and they were very good and, um, you know, challenged us a lot. And, and to be honest, we were a little lucky to grab a PK at the end of that game to tie it, and then. You know, obviously, if you're at home and the points leader, and you know, you're probably trying to avoid PKs. You don't want to go there. But credit to our guys, they they, you know, stay composed and and kept pushing through the game and and kept themselves in it. And then in the end, we were able to outlast. Next up was Louisville City. It was the first of what would become an annual tradition of the Red Bulls meeting Louisville in the conference finals. Louisville entered the playoffs as the two-seed, and a matchup between the two best teams in the Eastern Conference made for a more tentative game than you might guess. In the 11th minute, Louisville took the lead. Once again, poor defending on a set-piece led to a goal for Paco Craig, and the Red Bulls looked like they had used up all their effort in the previous round to defeat the Rhinos. Following the goal, Louisville stayed in the driver's seat for most of the match, but they failed to capitalize on a number of good chances. They would regret their wastefulness in the 74th minute. Florian Velo headed the Red Bulls level, showing late-game heroics like his first goal for the squad, a late winner over FC Cincinnati in a come-from-behind victory earlier in the summer. The remainder of the match saw three red cards, Sean Reynolds and Paco Craig for Louisville, and future Louisville player Devin Speedy Williams for the Red Bulls. Speedy's red card saved the Red Bulls from a one-on-one opportunity for Cameron Lancaster. Arguably, it saved the match. But once again, the match was decided in PKs. And once again, the Red Bulls were perfect from the spot. But this time, Ryan Mara made two saves, setting Louisville packing. The Louisville game was a little bit different. We go down again, but we get back into it earlier. And I, I felt like we had um, that game uh, a little bit more in, in control. Um, and we were kind of searching for a goal and didn't quite get it. Again, though, a really good team. And they've shown since a lot of those guys still on the team. Uh, you know, winning championships with with that with that club, so um, it just shows that you know as much as good as we were, there were still good teams to overcome uh, in those play in that playoff run, and uh, you know, there's certainly some challenges for us. And you know, sometimes when you have a dominant season, you know, when the challenges come in the playoffs, so sometimes they're hard to overcome. Uh, but credit to our guys, and and yeah, I think there are some lasting effects from that. And there's a reason why. You know, it's it's important to have a second team that plays in a competitive league and has competitive games, right? You want those that those valuable moments. You know, those games have a little extra to them when there's a little more. You know, move on, go home, or move on. All that was left now was the USL Cup final against the Swope Park Rangers. 
The Red Bulls were favored to win, but facing Western Conference opponents is difficult to judge in USL. All teams play a single match against Western opposition during the regular season, so there are no basis for comparison. While many expected the Red Bulls to win, few were ready for how big that win would be. Leading up to the match, Wolnick was worried the team was burnt out. After two back-to-back matches that went 120 minutes and PKs, he wasn't sure if his young team could find it in them to do it again, especially if the match went to extra time. Yeah, it's an interesting time. Obviously, uh, you know, each year the season has gotten longer, so they added a couple games that year. and So the season was longer, and then obviously playing in the playoffs, it was a long season. And those last few weeks were tough because, you know, we, as much as I didn't play and run around, you know, 90 minutes... PKs, 90, uh, sorry, 120 minutes, 120 minutes, PKs, that's a lot. Yeah. So there was a worry about, you know, could we turn around again and, and put another effort in if we had to go to extra time? Like, what was that going to mean for the guys? And, you know, were, we, were guys, you know, on their last legs or whatever? So certainly there was a bit of apprehension there and, and concern. But, you know, we, we knew we had a lot of success, so there was certainly a lot of confidence. And it was an exciting day and, you know, uh, to be the ability to host and, and be at Rebel Arena and you know it was an interesting week because media was around and the USL um, office staff was around and it, it was definitely a different feel during training and uh, you know the the club had done some things to recognize the the team as well and um, so it was certainly different and it felt you know like a, a finals week so to speak so um, and I just in my mind was just trying to think all right all the work from my side is pretty much done because, you know, game management is important, but, you know, it's more about how the players experience this. So I just wanted to make sure that I presented myself in a way of in front of the team that, listen, just I'm going to enjoy this. You guys are going to enjoy this and, and just have a good time enjoying playing a big game. We've done so much work to be able to have this moment. Uh, I didn't want any of my um, pressure or apprehension or concerns to be with the team at all and just let them be young and, and enjoy the game. Once again, the Red Bulls got off to a quick start. Antien, top of the box, fires, oh, he scored! 18th minute, like father, like son. In the 18th minute, Derek Etienne put the Red Bulls in front. It was a beautiful shot from the top of the box that curled past the keeper. And the chances kept coming. The Red Bulls consistently pressured the Rangers, forcing Adrian Zendahas to keep the game close. But New York Red Bulls 2 would not be denied. Red Bulls into the box, plays it for Etienne, comes loose to Allen! He scores! The Red Bulls took a 2-0 advantage into halftime, but the Rangers pulled one back in the 73rd minute. With just 15 minutes remaining, it looked like the match was poised to become a nail-biter. Enter Stefano Bonomo. What a spin move that is. Bonobo slides it. And Etienne, it's knocked away by Zendeja, still loose in the box. And it gets towards the byline, still loose. Bonobo turns. Etienne slid away. It's Allen. The Red Bulls put the game on Stefano Bonomo's back. And the super sub delivered. He set up each of the next three goals two for Brandon Allen completing a hat trick in the finals, and one for Vincent Bezicourt. The final goal stunned the Rangers. From one goal back to four in just 15 minutes. Kept in by Bonomo. Tries to lay it off. A hat trick? Yes! Brandon 
final whistle brought a sigh of relief. Yeah, so it was a lot of relief, obviously, because uh, the game was a little bit more dis- decided and we got to put some, you know, Benomo was injured at the time. We got to put him on and he, you know, he had, was still struggling through a little bit with injury and we got to put Ben Mines on and some academy guys get to play and stuff. So it was, it was nice to be able to use that moment to give guys ex- uh, good experiences, um, you know, and then, you know, to, to not have to go to extra time and, and PKs and all that stuff was, was great. And then, you know, it was by far, I don't know about by far, but it was definitely one of the bigger crowds we played in in front of um, for the whole year. And um, so it was, it was a great experience in that sense. So it's just kind of wanted to, you know, stand back and kind of take it in and let the guys enjoy it. And, you know, it definitely felt good to not have to worry all the way down to the last minute for sure. The Red Bulls did it. For us, the feeling was surreal. We didn't have lofty expectations for the team when we started the podcast. We were just lucky enough to get swept up in the excitement. It was a magical feeling. Rarely do teams that you write about or podcast about, rarely do they win championships. The whole run made it easier for us to settle in and find our groove. And like many of the players for New York Red Bulls too, I earned promotion to the first team. This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. For 10 seasons, bringing you the best New York Red Bulls news and opinion with your hosts, Mark Fishkin and Joe Goldstein. At the end of the day, the 2016 team was lightning in a bottle. Championship squads are often the victims of circumstance as much as they are talented. Being in the right place at the right time is a huge part of how this crazy machine of sport operates. The collective talent on the Red Bulls 2 roster improved the team as a whole. You know, it's great to have individual talents that you think are going to be successful. But a lot of times, and maybe not all the time, but a lot of times the, the group is what drives them forward, right? So, you know, as, as much as Aaron was talented and stuff, I, I wonder how much him being with Tyler and with Ryan and, and with Flo and, and Vince and those guys being together, uh, did they were they able to kind of bounce off each other and push each other through a little bit, you know, like... I use it as the example of, you know, if you're working out, it's nice to go alone, but the, if you're just going alone all the time, then you're going to take days off and you're not going to push yourself as hard. But if you have a buddy, if you have a friend, if you have a group, you know, the days that you're not doing as well, they're pushing you, they're bringing you, they're, they're getting you move forward. So when you have a bunch of guys that are um, talented but also highly motivated um, and, and, you know, have a good connection, uh, a lot more can be achieved, not only as a team, but also as individual gains. So... I think that's at least part of the reason why some of those guys have had, you know, gone on to some big success. I think, you know, Tyler was probably going to be successful no matter what, Aaron as well. But I wonder if it would have happened as fast, if it would have, you know, as much or whatever. I'm not sure. I don't know the answers to that. But it it does make me think a little bit more, you know, as much as sometimes people get very um, into individual development plans when they're trying to produce players. And that's great. And and I'm not saying don't do that. But um, the, the group matters to the individual development so um, you have to spend a lot of time on the group to make sure that they're you know that the chemistry chemistry or whatever is there you know so that you know, obviously you need a good team but the, the the way they interact with each other is can there's a lot of gain to be had there so many players in that squad went on to have success with the red bulls organization and outside of it it stands as a testament to the red bulls ability to cultivate talent but one question remains. Is the Red Bulls development plan good enough to repeat the task in MLS? You know, if, if you're able to uh, continue to uh, 
identify and, and develop and bring in good players that at some point that's going to pay off in a good way. And, and listen, it has already. I mean, like you said, being the first team getting uh, the points record and the supporter shield, I mean, that it's already paid off, you know, so um, I think, you know, I, I certainly use that as motivation. I'm not content to just put a couple guys through the first team. I want guys that are, are going to help to push to the ultimate goal. So, um, you know, if Aaron if Aaron's here a while and I get to add a couple more players with Aaron and Flo and and uh, Vince and all those guys, then then great. And I'm going to keep pushing to do that because at the end of the day, I, I work for a club that wants to win MLS Cup. And if my club wants to do that, then I have to partake and I have to contribute as much as I can. So um, I don't know if we have the capability to come up with all the answers and all the players. That would be amazing. But... Um, I certainly want to and, and think we can be a, a big part of that. Actually, just go. Yeah. Uh, when when do you first remember uh, meeting me? I could tell you when I, I remember meeting you. I don't remember the exact time, but it was a Red Bull two game. What I was about to say twenty. It, it was in twenty fifteen. That's right. Yeah. Um, but I do remember that because we were two of like three people covering the game. So I think Dan Feuerstein was there. I, I couldn't remember if there was another, uh, person there. It was the open cup game against the New Jersey express. Yes, actually. Yeah. I was thinking of another game after that. You are absolutely right. That was at the NJIT game. Yes. Um, cause I remember thinking, man, that goalkeeping coach looks a lot like Bill Gaudet. And then <laughs> one of the Red Bull media guys told me that's because it is Bill Gaudet. <laughs> <laughs> a shock indeed. And I gave you a ride home that day. I think... Uh, no, you gave me a ride to the path at... Um, oh, that's right. Yes, not home. At a, at a whatever it is, the, the Red Bull Arena path, the Harrison stop. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I, I think I vaguely remember running into you one more time that year. Uh, but not really uh, conversing heavily with you until the next year at Red Bull Arena. Yeah, because then we were we were suffering together. Never really suffering because Red Bull Two was good that year. But we were um, cover. We were pretty much uh, suffering together through those um, those really really awful summer day games. What were your first impressions of me? Nah, you were alright. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when I brought up the idea of the podcast to you, were you like, uh-huh, this is never going to happen or go anywhere or nobody was going to listen? No, I figured it was going to happen. Um, I at, at that time, I was in and out of a few different podcasts that were kind of stopped starting. So I figured, you know, well, we'll see what sticks. Um, at the time, I, I was writing for Empire of Soccer and uh, Dave Martinez had a podcast, a very short-lived one. Um and then there were a few other ones. Uh, there was like a Cosmos Country one that I was on for a little bit. This is before those guys went and did um, what would eventually become the Pint After podcast, which I don't even know if they still do anymore. 
Um, but it was before all of that. So yeah, it was, it was kind of like a podcast hopping. I was on seeing red a few times. Uh, I'll tell you what, I, <laughs> I didn't have any clue how to put a podcast together. Uh, I wasn't sure of uh, what platform I was going to use to be able to broadcast it to the world. Cause I, uh, when I came up with the idea, it was literally just like spur of the moment. I was talking to Chris and like in my head, I was just like, ask him about this. Maybe you can get this to happen. Uh, well, didn't the, the early shows were on Podbean, right? They're still on Podbean. Yeah. Oh, wow. Look at that. Well, they were, uh, they were on last word, uh, SC. So we didn't have our That's own nice. or last word. Yeah. I think it was last word, um, FC media. Um, we didn't have our own channel, but, uh, I, I hadn't even run the, the idea past, um, Mike Kovacs, who's the, um, the CEO of last word on sports, whether or not we could <laughs> have a podcast at all. It was just while I was talking to Chris, I was like, Hey, how would you feel about doing this? Uh, with no real expectations of them agreeing to it. And Chris was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. That'd be amazing. <laughs> and then I was like, Oh crap. Now I actually have to do something and get this together. We should have Chris on at one point talking soccer. Uh, the old, um, the first of the um, media guys for Red Bull too. Yeah, that would be that is a good idea. We should have done that for this episode. What was I thinking? <laughs> no, what were you thinking? You're supposed to go get Leo Stoles for me. Well, look, okay, uh, I we already said the story about Leo Stoles a few times. This yeah. is bringing it up. Yeah, <laughs> it's not it's not happening. I tried. Um, what? I, I guess from the podcast, what was uh, your biggest um, maybe surprise so far? Hmm. I don't know if there was a surprise necessarily. Um, I think that uh, we got a lot of players that were very genuine in the USL players, to me anyway, seem to give us better and more genuine reactions that we get in MLS, mainly because they're more media trained mm-hmm. up there. So we, we got a lot of genuine, fun responses out of so many players that I did not anticipate um, getting. The biggest the biggest surprise for me was reaching out to and uh, them agreeing to have Bob Lilly on the show uh, in year one. I just that had, surprised you? I had never had I any Bob experience. Lilly has ever turned down a challenge. I had never had any experience of reaching out to other like uh, organizations at that point. Other podcasters, sure, but uh, to get the uh, the head coach of the team that they're about to play that was really exciting and surprising to me. And then asked, around that same time, I asked. I remember for an article that I ended up not writing. Um, I asked for FC Cincinnati, and I was like, "Hey, can I just talk to John Hart's? And they're like, yeah, sure. And he called me <laughs> while I was home. He called me from his car and I did an interview with him. And I was like, I'm, I was like, did John Hart just call me? This is really happening. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> did you think we'd get to 100 episodes? Uh, no, um, I don't I didn't even really even think about it. Like, it wasn't until like two weeks ago. We were like, hey, you know, we're coming up with we're coming up with the 100th episode. That's um, a perfect, that like, wow, perfect impression of me. Yeah, I just I, I it was really I was like, wow, we've been doing this for a while. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, what else? Uh, in the future, what is one thing that you want us to implement on this show that that we haven't done yet? Two things. OK, I want to do a live show at a playoff game. OK. And um, a video of us doing our freaking challenges yes, on that the needs- field at MSU Park. 
getting on the field at MSU Park might be a stretch. We'll we'll have to find out. But yes, uh, all right, I agree on both of those points, and I'd like to do uh, some more like video stuff from matches, like. Um, and I want Evan Laurel to be the keeper. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would love that. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that uh, lofty goals, but I think we can get there. Um. All right. Uh, any? Uh, oh no! I already had you give a hundredth episode message. So yeah, I think that's it. Uh, we're gonna sign off with uh, our usual, but I'm gonna pare it down. Um, you could find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can go find us at Facebook.com/slash/RaisingBulls. You can go to RaisingBulls.com where we post all of our episodes. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm at underscore Joe Goldstein. And I'm at NYC Sports World. And if you'd like to follow the show, and I and we hope you do, it's at Raising Bull Cast. That's one bull, Raising Bull Cast. And you can follow our written work at RB News Network, rbnn.us. And all of that is on Twitter. We're brought to you by the beautiful game network at bgn.fm. Did I already say that? I think I might have. Maybe I didn't. doesn't matter say it again yeah we're at bgn.fm there's a host of great shows podcasts there and written content go consume enjoy uh revel in all things usl and soccer there and of course we're brought by we're brought to you by roughneck scarves the official scarf supplier of mls usl and us soccer get scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com for myself for anthony merced for Joe Steen, for Bill Toomey, Chris Orihuela, Willie Whitelaw, and now Zach Leahy. I hope it's Leahy and not Lahi. Uh, fingers crossed. There's no accent over right. it. Yeah, it's true. Uh, thank you very much, and have a great night. Mm-hmm.